The Pace Line is produced by The Cycling Independent, the only cycling media completely free of commercial influence. We are community-supported and dedicated to the whole of cycling. As our tagline says, if you ride bikes, you're one of us. From the Cycling Independent, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my co-host, John Robot Lewis. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. So, you're on the mend? Um, I'm, I'm on the mend. It's true. I, so, uh, for people who didn't, weren't up to speed on my health... Uh, I tested positive for COVID on uh, New Year's Eve, which was also my 50th birthday. Happy birthday to me. (laughs) And then I uh, paced slowly around my house like a dead person uh, for eight or nine days. And uh, then a couple days ago, I started to feel like a real person again. So... And I have just returned uh, from a run. I went running. I, I, uh, for the first, this was my first activity. And I'll get into, I'll get into it a little bit more in my poll because it's, um, what I just did was a three mile jog on ice, rutted ice wearing micro spikes. 
That just doesn't even sound fun. Um, I mean, it's fun of a sort. You know how these things go. <laughs> Type two. Yes. 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 And you, how are you today? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, I, I took Sunday or sorry, Saturday to do a long hike instead of a ride. Uh, hard to explain, but I went to Sonoma Coast State Park and hiked up to a spot called Islands in the Sky. Um, and took stock of my life and my values and, uh, got a bunch of just incredibly beautiful photos on my hike. It was, it was just one of those days, you know, you achieved it. I, I got something right that day and I'm, I am a better man for it. Oh, that sounds really nice. Yeah. Yeah. So I've been, uh, walking around with the afterglow of that for whatever, four days now. Wow. That sounds nothing like a stumble on ice wearing micro spikes. (laughs) (laughs) I, you know, I guess that's probably right. (laughs) Hmm. I have to reconsider my life choices. (laughs) My boys both got sick, but uh, they don't have COVID, which just seems like the least likely possibility on the planet. Yeah. 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 Yes. And I'm not sure. So my whole family was sick. Um, the thing that happened was my youngest son uh, brought COVID home. He this was the weirdest thing. He coughed ever so slightly uh, in my wife's presence. And she was like, you have COVID. And I was like, you need to relax. And then she pulled out a rapid test Uh and sure enough, he later. had COVID. I was like, what the hell just happened? But your your wife has like a couple of superpowers, if I recall correctly. She's got, a, I think, all of them. I haven't seen her fly, but I think that's just because she's keeping it from me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So so we the whole family was uh, we all got sick. And I think I was the sickest for the longest. I was the last one to get sick. So it could be just that the the other three built the viral load in the house and delivered me the sledgehammer. I was I was so sure that I was going to be get out of it, that I was too tough for covid because I mean, because because that's a thing. And uh, but no, I actually did have a cough for Monday. Mm. As a result of my voice. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it's gone now. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, on this side of the the uh, looking glass, I feel sort of like glad that I, if I was going to get it, great, I got it. Uh, I didn't, you know, it was it was unpleasant in a in a in a minor flu kind of way, uh, but I did not feel at any point that I was knocking on death's door, uh, and now I'm past it. So presumably I have two to three weeks before I'm eligible. (laughs) You know, I mean, that's one of the things that really helps me get through this life is seeing the absurdity in situations and just laughing. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, we've all spent the last two years studying epidemiology and none of us is any the wiser. No, I'm going to say I'm wiser. Because what I really understand now is that I am 
uh, far more vulnerable than I ever previously understood. Right. Yeah. Right. So I, I you know, it's, uh, that's not something I can take to the bank, but I know well, it this, now. This Lyme disease, it's Lyme disease. This, uh, COVID, uh, is the third illness. So I had diverticulitis in October. I got Lyme disease in November and then I copped COVID at the end of December. And so I'm keenly aware that any other century I'm, I'm dead. Like my tombstone <laughs> is being chiseled. <laughs> And that's a little, I mean, for a guy who thinks it, he's no, fit really and doing true. everything. Yeah. Like I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't do drugs. I don't do like my risk behaviors are combined, are confined to the bicycle. You know, it's con confined to outdoor activities, which is whatever. Um, yeah. But like, you know, if it were 1822. Uh, oh, I'm hell, it, it could be 1922. Yeah, absolutely. You, you know? Yeah. Uh, 1960 you'd probably still be dead you know yeah. so yeah uh it's uh well i guess this week you get to be called this month you get to be called triple threat yes i'm in the bonus <laughs> round is what i am i mean obviously i should be dead it's just an accident of time that i'm alive so i'm gonna i'm gonna set some fires you, you're extra that's, that's not a joke you should make to a california resident i'm sorry <laughs> you you can in january oh yeah okay <laughs> everything's green right now yes yeah, but yeah, uh, yeah. your extra ball light is lit up that's right yeah so take take it while you can all right yeah well um let's just get on to <laughs> should your we do pull. the podcast <laughs> yes all right if that's what that's what you want to do so um, so this week uh, I wanted to talk about winter riding, uh, which is topical. I was um, I was uh, chit chatting with my friend Steve Knievel of All Hail the Black Market and also the Cycling Independent uh, yesterday. Steve, uh, this is his first winter in Washington state, having moved north from California and so he's uh, after we recorded revolting uh our podcast he was asking me about like my bike setups and how i how i manage riding this time of year mm. um let me start by saying i'm riding a lot less the last few winters than i have historically i'm i'm working exclusively at home now uh so there's no commute and honestly, I think once you're out of the groove of heading out into the conditions every day, it makes it harder to get out for the occasional ride. Absolutely. Yeah. But uh, I did spend a bunch of years doing the thing. And so first I want to describe what the thing is, because if you don't live in a winter place, then you might think winter riding is about riding in the snow. <laughs> the snow, True. however, is mostly a secondary concern. You can ride on a lot of snow. Snow is actually a really it's a preferable uh, surface to ice or pavement with intermittent ice, which is the real problem. And unless it's uh, the snow is too deep, once it's too deep, there's really no riding on it or in it anyway, even with a fat bike. You know, people think you can ride a fat bike in eight inches of powder and you just cannot. That's not. You bog not down. Yeah. You're, it's not a thing. You're just done. Like even a fat bike needs. um some kind of stability in the surface to be functional. 
So the main thing is ice, and the real mechanism of difficulty is the thaw-freeze cycle in, in which whatever water is on the ground, uh, it may start as snow, melts and freezes again in the seesaw of daytime, nighttime temperatures. So you get, uh, you know, some sun, it may be still freezing, but you get some uh, sun on it during the day and it melts and then it refreezes and it spreads and it runs and it just is becomes this very randomizing factor. A good set of studded tires will manage most ice conditions, although rutted ice, like when you get when people ride through slush during the day, which then freezes, that is a real problem. And the woods look pretty terrible right now. I was I ran uh, an hour ago, my first outdoor foray since uh, feeling like a human again. I went for a run with a friend of mine and uh, we ran wearing micro spikes over rutted ice, uh, which is suboptimal uh, both on foot and on the bike. <laughs> uh, uh the other thing to know about riding on set of tires is that it's not really awesome. They're really <laughs> heavy and stiff. Yeah. You know, like the best set of studded tires I have is made by Nokian, uh, the Finnish uh, tire company. <laughs> that'll they have, tell you something. That'll tell you exactly all, what you need to know. They are super effective. Uh, I've had them for many seasons and the studs are still in the tires and they're still very effective. But it is like riding on wooden tires. <laughs> yeah you're riding your bike but your rolling momentum is drastically reduced and that changes the game so if you're thrilled by being outside which you should be and it's great either on the road or in the woods studded tires are the way to get there uh and if you can be happy just being out then you're golden but the situation is pretty low flow <laughs> Some of my happiest moments winter riding are uh, in a dry in the dark in in like driving snow that's just begun and I'm rolling along on my studded tires and it's not great. You know, I'm not I'm not having a, a woohoo moment, but the cars are all backed up for a mile at the light and I'm just rolling by in my little cone of headlight and they're looking at me and I'm like, that's right, idiot. <laughs> <laughs> That's unkind. They're not idiots. They're just doing what everybody does. But I definitely have that sense of like, yep, it doesn't have to be that way. You can just pedal your ass home. You know, it's it's funny to me how. OK, so in Nordic skiing, when snow thaws and then refreezes, you can no longer use a kick wax. OK, you have to switch to yeah. the stuff called clister, which is <clears throat> like stringy glue. It is the it is literally one of the worst substances on the planet. Right. I, I put it up there right up there with like the chromium six that was in Aaron Brockovich. You know, it's just oh, yeah, it's yeah. awful, awful stuff. And it's stringy. So if it gets anywhere that it's not supposed to, things will only go from bad to worse. Yeah. Um. But I mean, what that says is that getting any sort of traction on snow that has thawed and refrozen is, it's not impossible, but it's very, very difficult. Listen, I was in Vermont over the weekend. Uh, we have a, a, a ski rental 
And I went, I took all of our gear up because all the humans in my family and their gear don't all fit in one vehicle. So I went up there <laughs> to just supply the, uh, the house and my, some friends of mine up there were like, Hey, we're going to skin up the mount. The lifts weren't going up because the <laughs> conditions were so bad. They're like, we're going to skin up, uh, just to get some skiing done. And I was like, look, I'm still, I'm still, there's no way I'm climbing a ski mountain uh, in my (laughs) current condition, but have fun. And they sent me a video later of the three of them with their skis over their shoulders, uh, kicking into the ice to get up. And I said to them, like, why didn't you just turn around? And they were like, it was too late. Like we skinned up the bottom where they had groomed the side of the trail and then we had to go to the top and that meant like walking, kicking in to ice up single track with our skis over our shoulders because our skins wouldn't hold, even our skins wouldn't hold the ice. God. <laughs> okay. Help me out here. Why did they have to continue to the top? Um, I mean, when believe- isn't turning around an option? Well, uh, many of the mountains have these rules. Like once you are headed up, uh, they you can keep going. Um, you got to turn around basically when the lifts turn on. You have to be skiing. So I think they got part of the way up and the lifts were turned on. But they were like, well, we're in the woods now. We can't ski down what we just walked up. Uh, and if we turn around, look, as I'm talking through it, I still don't understand why they did what they did. I was just very grateful I wasn't there because it was also like, you know, negative four or something. Oh, Um, God. Yeah, it was one of those adventures I was very glad. And I have skinned this particular mountain and it's hard. Uh, I was glad that I missed this, this, uh, particular adventure. Yeah, you would be re-coveted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was there was no, nothing that was getting me out of the cabin, uh, out from in front of the wood fire, uh, for some suffering. That was not on my agenda. Maybe maybe this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> so, having said all that about ice, another huge challenge for winter riding is space. Uh, once a lot of snow piles up, the traffic and parking lanes shrink. Oh. And there's just not a lot of room to exist on the road. You know, like one lane roads or sorry, two lane roads become one lane roads. And guess who doesn't want to share it with a bike? (laughs) Everyone. (laughs) So that for me has always been the biggest impediment to winter riding. That feeling like you're in the way all the time and you're sort of dodging between snow piles to get anywhere. Um, at the moment in Boston, there's no significant snow down. Like I can see snow from my window here. Uh, so we only have the ice challenges currently. My guy, the crew that I ride with on Wednesdays, which is when we're recording, set out at 7 a.m. this morning when there were below zero wind chills and they were discussing stress studded tire strategies in our group chat. I stayed home because that's crazy cold and I'm still trying to. You know, I'm not trying to die this week. (laughs) (laughs) So, what's the extent of the winter challenges riding where you are? 
Uh, I would have to say that none of them are external. Right. <laughs> right. Because, you know, riding when it's, you know, say 41 degrees or, or even 39, I think it was 39 when I woke up. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, I, I've, I've done races that were colder. Um, right. But you just don't have that in you anymore. Is what you're saying. I, I, currently, currently. You, you know, I'm I'm aware that it's very psychological, right? Like mm-hmm. uh, in the sense that here in and even like within my own mind, like here in Boston, it was negative wind chill yesterday. And I was like, no, thanks. Not interested. <laughs> no chance. Yeah. If it was negative wind chill in Vermont and the lifts were running, I'd be like, well, put another hat on because uh, <laughs> we're headed out the door. But. It's, is it your, um, is it your temperature calibration, your tolerance different for skiing than it is cycling or running? You know, I, um, I don't think so. Really? I think it's in my head. You're like, I'll, I'll snowshoe in Vermont when it's that cold. And well, you know, like, okay, there's but a snowshoe point- that's not the same as running. Um... Is it? No, it's, but it's close. Huh. You know, you get that same, you know, because you're snowshoeing there, it's not on flat ground. You know, you're, you're working. Mm-hmm. It's definitely cardiovascularly intensive in a way that skiing isn't. But I mean, to snowshoe, you walk out the door with the expectation that there is snow. Yeah, but I think it also that also runs the gamut because it can be 40 and there's snow or it can be negative 10 and there's snow. You I can I have skinned up this particular mountain uh, in a T-shirt before. uh, And I've also been there when the snot in my nose froze. (laughs) You know, you get that like mentholated when you breathe, you get like a mentholated feeling in your sinuses. Your nose is frosted. Yeah, you're like, I'm making ice in my head. <laughs> That's not cool. <laughs> or, or you know, depending on your viewpoint, maybe it is. Yeah, maybe it is. I don't know. I just find that, like, when I'm in Vermont, I fully accept that that's just what it is, and I'm out the door. And when mm-hmm. I'm in Massachusetts, the same conditions, I'm like, yeah, that's insane. Don't do that. Well, that's that gets to kind of what my feeling was, you know. So when I was living in Northampton, if it was 35 degrees, I was not jazzed about riding. Um, oddly enough, it was, if it was 35 degrees, I was also not entirely jazzed about the Nordic skiing because conditions were slow and Mm. I struggled, I struggled to dress well for, uh, as the temperature rose above freezing, warm winter is the worst. Oh my gosh. I remember <clears> skating <throat> on a, it was almost like a pond of snow that our snowmaker had made uh, at the Nordic area that I used to teach at. And so it was, you know, kind of like a, a football field covered with artificial snow. Mm. Um, and it was like 42 degrees and none of us knew how to dress for it. We were, 
you know, like our, our union suits were pulled down to our waist and we had to tie the sleeves around our waist to keep them from dragging in the snow. And, mm. Uh, Well, you know what? I run very warm, so I tend to I always have a strategy to get to short sleeves. Mm -hmm. You know, it could be it could be in the teens in Vermont. And if we're climbing to ski, I know that I'm going to be in I'll have a a baseball cap and a short sleeve shirt on (laughs) after about 10 minutes. Okay. Okay. And to your point about 40 degrees, 40 degrees is pretty much my optimal riding temperature. Like if you said to me, <laughs> what is the best riding temperature? I would take 40. I would take 40 over 80 any day. Mm, mm, mm. Wow. But, but this is, we're, we're going down this goofy, I run hot. Everyone is bored with this story now. <laughs> <laughs> just you know for me like you know great cycling for me is maybe 60 65 degrees that's you know that's just a lovely temperature for me with riding nordic skiing 21 degrees was just amazing yeah conditions were really fast it was easy for me to dress for that temperature dressing for 10 degrees was not great and anything colder than 10 degrees and Nordic skiing, that was difficult. Two years in a row, the Bay State games, it was 10 below when we were supposed to start. They delayed it by an hour. We went back out. It was five below. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. Any t- anything, at, you know, the thing with uh, like downhill skiing is you're not building a lot of heat as mm-hmm. you do it. <laughs> yeah. Um but when you're snowshoeing or skinning up or Nordic skiing, you are going to run up against sweat. So that then the cha- there are big challenges. And, yeah. you know, you you there are dangers as well that crop up very quickly. Like I could be in a short sleeve shirt in the teens when I get to the top of the mountain. I've got to switch over pretty quickly to downhill mode mm-hmm. because I'm wet. I'm sweaty. And, you know. If it's in the teens and the wind is blowing, you can go he- go south really quickly. Yeah. Yeah. That whole convective cooling thing, you know, physics. Right. Yeah. Right. And it's the same if you're Nordic skiing, you know, you're out, you've been working for a while and you you stop for a rest. That rest can really get you because <laughs> yep. you you lose body heat quickly. Yeah. I we tended only to stop long enough to collect people. Right. Yeah. And it's the same, it's the same to bring it back to cycling. It's the same, you know, riding, right? If you go out uh, super cold, you, you need to keep moving. I, I try in this weather, you know, to stay off the hammer and just be steady as she goes because mm-hmm. temperature yep. spikes and all that just isn't good to try to manage. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have this uh, rather intense dislike of hypothermia. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's not great. You know, among among the experiences that I have repeated that I wished I hadn't had the first experience with. Yeah. Yeah. That's your uh, hypothermia is my dehydration. <laughs> that's how that works. Yeah. I, I have flirted with hypothermia, but I've had much closer calls with frostbite. Mm. Mm. I, I've never gotten quite to frostbite uh, mm. and I'm. <laughs> so glad. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, well, I guess we'll take a break and be back in a minute. Sounds great. Okay. I'm so glad that we're so confident about this. Maybe I should just speak for myself. Alrighty, back in a sec. The Pace Line is brought to you by The Cycling Independent. We are the only online cycling publication that's entirely reader-supported with absolutely no advertiser, sponsor, or investor commitments influencing our editorial. We don't have a sales team or middle management. It's just the three founders and a collection of talented and committed contributors who independently produce our content. To maintain our commitment to honest, reader-focused editorial with the best writers in the business, we need your help. Every dollar that comes in goes directly toward creating the content you see. A subscription is cheap, easy, and it goes a heck of a long way. Just go to cyclingindependent.com, click on support TCI, and choose your level. Thanks for listening. Okay, we're back with the Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. What do you got for us this week? I'm going to begin with a little true confession. So with a few exceptions, the Pace Line is what is considered a clean podcast. As in, we don't allow any, well, I don't know about allow, but we don't do profanity. Um, we do it for reasons of decorum, inclusion, and just uh, general politeness. But I'll be honest and admit that away from here in my grown-up life, i.e. not in front of my boys, my language is saltier than some oceans. Uh, I have joked that I've invented new curse words when I ran out. I mention this because in the latest turn in the pandemic, thanks to the Omicron variant, I just don't bleeping know what to bleeping say about having a social life with bleeping bikes. Right. I mean, I was getting excited for doing events this spring, particularly the grasshoppers. Uh, I was thinking, okay, you know, this is going to motivate me to yes. explain to explain to listeners what the grasshoppers are, because you reference them a lot and I, not everyone. Yeah. Yeah. This is probably, yeah, we're due for a refresher. Yeah. So uh, the mm -hmm. oldest uh, mixed surface events uh, in the country uh, are the Grasshopper Adventure Series, uh, which started out here in Sonoma County. Uh, originally, all of the events started in the town of Occidental and went out in one of four or five different directions from there. Uh, so they would ranged you say from... They, would you say they came up with this idea on purpose or was it uh, yeah, Occidental? It was... <laughs> <laughs> I'll go now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can let yourself out. Oh. <laughs> um, That's clean comedy, everyone. That's what yes. clean comedy is. Yeah. Um, so, uh, the, yeah, they're mixed surface events. They range from about 50% dirt to 20% dirt. Um, <laughs> but for various reasons, uh, they are now evolving and fewer of them are being held in Sonoma County and more of them are being held in Mendocino and even now Humboldt County. Um, but yeah, they are the oldest gravel events in the entire country. Uh, and it was just a bunch of badass racers trying to think about how to get in shape and, you know, beat up their <laughs> friends along the way. Mm. Um, yeah. So anyway, in preparation for thinking about the grasshoppers, my actual preparation on the bike aside, uh, 
Uh, I did an interview with Miguel Crawford, the promoter, back in November. <clears throat> the interview was meant to run in December, but I didn't get to it for reasons of um, bike theft, getting hit by a car, and one other little unscheduled change in my personal life. Mm. Uh, so my poll this week is uh, a dynamite excerpt, if I will, uh, from my interview with Miguel. Um, at least I think it's dynamite. We're going to run the full interview as a paceline tandem next week, but this will give you a little taste of what is going on in the grasshoppers this year. So for, for folks who aren't familiar with riding in Mendocino County or Humboldt County, these newer hoppers, uh, what sort of split are people going to see in, in terms of dirt to pavement? Yeah, well, they each vary. So if we think about the the events this year, so uh, the first one is Low Gap, which, as you mentioned, starts out 22 miles of pavement, and it's beautiful and rugged pavement, and 22 miles of dirt, and it ends up back at your car. So it's really just a perfect, (laughs) perfect one. It is an amazing course, but that opening climb... It's so hard. Oh, it's, it's so hard. But you drop into the icebox canyon in the valley. Um, so that's like a 50-50. Then the second one, we go into the Huffmasters. Huffmasters in February. And that's like, that works pretty close to 50% in the long one. Gravel to pavement. Um, and, you know, that's, that's, that's a really interesting course in that it's right off of the five between the Mendocino National Forest. We should be able to see some snow out there. Things will be green. So you're, roll, you're starting out in the, gra- in, the, in, the, in, the, in the rice paddy areas and you roll, get into the, it's kind of like the, the foothills of the. Um, then when the new events that we're doing, well, Jackson Hopper, which we're doing, that's, I'm not exactly nailed that one down, but it works out as it was before. That's almost completely dirt. And it's almost all roads. Pretty much the course that you used before? That's my plan, is to do it like that. I'm still working out the exact details. So. Wait, you said almost all roads this time? No, no, almost all. Well, they're almost all dirt roads. They're all dirt, I'm sorry. Well, I mean, I remember doing the original Jackson Hopper, yeah. and that section of single track uh, toward the end. Oh, yeah, that. It, it <laughs> may have broken me. <laughs> Yeah, I heard some people. They they're like that. You're like, hey, that might have been too much, Mig. That's when I knew I was onto something. When I heard that, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I agree. That's your sweet spot. Yeah, oh, yeah. That's a little too I much. did tell people it's a gravel ride, but if you have a good hardtail, you probably want you to did. ride it. You did, and I did not, and so yeah, I suffered. Yeah, yeah. I came. Uh, I suffered. Yeah, let's see. And then the one that's up in Humboldt. This has been, you know, for me when I think when I started to throw. A gravel bike in my truck which was a cross bike back then that would have been probably like in 97 98 something like that it was going up into the Humboldt Redwoods area we did this loop called Dyerville and out of Arcata where I lived for school there's this Maple Creek loop so some dirt and stuff back there but always wanted to be up there so I've been talking to uh, my friend Justin owns a couple shops in Arcata and saw what he think wondering what he thought again kind of like going to this area it's other people's things you know I'm like I'm sensitive to that. He's like, no, it's a great idea. People would love it and to come. So it's part of the course of the of the tour of the unknown coast, which a lot of people know. It's the opposite direction, which makes more sense in my mind, because when you do get to the unknown coast, you're going south. So you get a tailwind of that. Yes. And I found some some sweet dirt on the east side of the Eel River. There's actually a county road. There's a seasonal bridge. 
call a bridge. Someone poured concrete in the Eel River. So when it goes down, you can ride across the Eel River <laughs> near Holmes. And you ride some dirt over to Scotia. And then Monument Bear Ridge, which a lot of cyclists up there know, it's mostly dirt up under the ridge. So... That one's a, that's a beast though. That's going to be just under a hundred miles and like 11,500 feet of climbing. It's a, it's a beast. And, uh, and what percentage of that is dirt? Uh, probably only 25 miles, 25% max on that. Okay. But it's, but, but still, it's rugged and remote. Wow. So we're going to do uh, two or three segments on that. So that's another thing I'm doing. King Ridge and also that, um, and this is one of the things about thinking, fun and safety, basically, things mm-hmm. that are super important. You know, now that we have the, the ability of timing to do segments makes a lot of sense. So people can do there'll be grasshopper segments. There'll be grasshopper segments. I mean, they're not going to just be this little thing. They'll be hard, but it'll give us a chance to like, OK, not have it. You're pinning it on the most dangerous, treacherous descent. Right. For example, uh-huh. you're hanging out. You're, you, have, you can stop at the beach. You're at this place. Hey, let's stop and eat something and look at this because look where we are. So. Um, both those events will be like that. So you're talking about things being different. That's been thinking about, you know, what, again, what's fun <laughs> and what's safe, but what's still a hopper. You know, I have people that, that want to race and compete and they want to, they want to, you know, feel like they're getting that out of them. And for sure they will with 11,000 feet of climbing finishes oh with, a, with a 3000 foot climb up Panther gap. I don't know if you've done that one out, out of how you do. Well, I've probably done it in the opposite direction. Okay. Coming doing. from there. Yeah. I, Cause I've done the tour of the unknown yeah, coast. Yeah. I was pinned on that. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's a hard climb. It's hard. And then you finish. I mean, you're talking about the the high you've gotten from writing fiction. When you come down at you know mile ninety five, you get into the Rockefeller forest areas with just old growth, and you're just pinned and cross eyed, and all of a sudden you're you're amongst the the ancestors. It's a it's a it's quite an experience and i specifically in doing that like the route and the direction because i looked at different things is i want that experience for people after being all day on their bike rolling into that and then we're um the plan is to have the staging and and the party right there on the river so wow again that was miguel crawford the empresario behind the grasshopper adventure series uh so it, this doesn't immediately relate to what he was just talking about, but again, Omicron variant, I, I am not super confident about doing events right now anymore. Uh, I mean, part of what I think about is the fact that there were crits in which, um, boy, that's just too gross to say. I, I was occasionally sprayed with other people's body fluids in crits. First of all, don't raise crits. Just well, don't. I don't. Just come I, on. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I think I'm like at, oh, no, I'm not quite 20 years since my last crit. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, uh, uh, here's the thing. You're not going to get COVID out, so outside. I'm, I'm not an epidemiologist. Nobody listen to what I'm saying. But you're not getting COVID outside. Uh, The studies I have read on it all indicate you're overwhelmingly unlikely to get COVID outside. Um, the, the, The air volume and circulation just isn't conducive to viral transmission. So, um... I'm not saying no one doth anything based on my medical opinion because it's garbage. But my personal take is 
I'm going to sign up for every event I want to do. Uh, and I'm going to hope that those events transpire. Uh, I'm not afraid of getting sick from attending an outdoor event. Um, and if the event is canceled and the promoter keeps the money, I'm also cool with that. That's that's my approach is I'm signing up for my preferred bunch of nonsense. And <laughs> if it goes off, cool. And if it doesn't happen, okay. I don't mind leaving whatever the entrance fee is in the pocket of someone who's trying to make it happen for the rest of us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I would, I would like to side with you on the whole <laughs> outdoor, uh, yep. Yep. Transmission. I just don't think any epidemiologists have looked at the way air moves through a Peloton of cyclists. Well, I, it's that, that's an excellent, well, they have actually, uh, they have, but I will add that um, I am not participating in any events that include Pelotons. <laughs> <laughs> but also, if you're mo- again, we don't I'm only going to harm science if I invoke it. So I'll just say that I think the amount of air moving through even a tightly packed Peloton of cyclists isn't going to harbor a high enough viral load for you to contract coronavirus from it. But I can see the look on your face. Listeners cannot. The look on his face is, hmm, I'm going to disagree. No, I, well, no, no, that's that. I mean, I guess that that may be the look on my face. But what I'm thinking is I really want to believe this. Why am I struggling? I, I want to agree with you. But something inside me is like, I, I am pro. I'm very pro science. And, and I'm not, too. not. Yeah. So nothing I'm saying. Um, I don't think there's any epidemiologist that will say you can't get COVID outside. But, you know, the earliest study from uh, China, actually, uh, that took in seventy seven hundred people who had contracted COVID in the initial phase of the pandemic. Only one of them was a confirmed outdoor transmission. And and I think that is a case of if you are standing quite close to someone speaking directly into their face, mm-hmm. I think it is possible. But I think most sporting activities, even with heavy breathing, other studies I've read, even ones that, you know, take into consideration the the quote unquote vapor trail that you leave behind mm-hmm. have concluded that you are overwhelmingly unlikely to contract now. If the transmissibility of Omicron has updated those statistics, I don't 100 percent know, but having just had it, um, I can tell you I got it inside and the person who gave it to me got it inside also. Sure, sure. Um, Yeah, I mean, my my concern is something that could happen in one percent of all cases uh but you know you are you are swaying me uh this is helping me you should you should uh and i'm saying this (laughs) not a little bit for legal reasons you should let your own doctor tell you it's okay (laughs) you know like definitely don't take it from a guy who goes by the the name robot (laughs) 
you know, okay. But my, my approach is you're not going to get it outside. You're just not unless you are in close physical proximity facing someone who is ill and speaking directly into your face for some period of time. I don't think <clears throat> so. Everything is a matter of degrees from there. Right. Mm -hmm. And then so a grasshopper, uh, you may be in a group of people, but it's not that big a group of people. I also think um, that it is reasonable for events to require, um, you know, negative antigen tests for starters. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, I, lest people think that I am uh, just completely laissez-faire about how I treat this thing. Um, you know, I have not been in close physical proximity to anyone outside my family for uh, coming on two weeks now. And and when I do that, it will be the result of a negative antigen test, which confirms that I'm no longer uh, contagious. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm not I am careful uh, in all of the ways. In fact, uh, I borrowed someone's car the other day, my neighbor's car, a car they don't drive. And I double, I put a KN95 mask and another mask over top of that. And my wife was like, I'm less concerned you're going to give them COVID in that scenario and more that you're going to asphyxiate. <laughs> mm, yeah. Um. So I believe very much in being careful and I still think, you know, Sign up for events. Do it. Yeah. Okay. Well, <clears throat> so for anybody within, um, uh, you know, a, a day's drive or so, uh, the new grasshoppers this year, some repeats, some alterations, they sound like lots of fun. And look, those events have insurance. Mm -hmm. the, the insurance companies would not let them have the event if they thought there was significant uh, liability for this. Very true. Very true. Yeah. If you don't trust uh, a robot, uh, consult an epidemiologist or an actuary, because those are the <laughs> folks with the real handle on your wrists. You know, an actuary is really a great measure of the future. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, they don't wing it, actuaries. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> they have hips. They do not shoot from them. No, that's yes. right. All righty. Well, let's move on to Paceline Picks. Oh, uh, sure. So in line with the winter cycling theme, this week I'm picking the Lake MXZ 304 winter cycling boots. I just call them the 304s. Um, I have a pair of 303s, uh, which I reviewed for Red Kite Prayer a few seasons ago. These boots are what I would call the total solution for warm winter riding feet. Like I have never had cold toes with them on. Mm. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. There are a few things. There are a few items. I think I talked about an Eche Ando uh, fleece base layer that I have, which is a lights out uh, winter warmth solution. I have a pair of black diamond um, mittens, mm -hmm. uh, which are also just a total solution. Uh, where warmth is concerned, the lakes are on that level. So mm -hmm. if you're a person who struggles with tingly, numb toes, uh, I highly recommend these. Um, 
the caveat I have, it's basically the same caveat I had for studded tires. The boots keep your feet dry and warm, but you're not feeling agile and fast when you have them on. <laughs> that is not actually a criticism. The idea of having warm, dry feet in sub-zero temperatures and feeling light and fast, that's not realistic. <laughs> not in not in not in our current technological age i'm sorry um i'm just saying it because i don't want people to get them and think these are heavy well yes they are uh so one of the big issues for me with winter riding is the process of getting all the gear on you know you get to feel like you're there's this 15 minute taxiing of the on the runway where you're pulling on this and tucking in that and so one of the things i appreciate about the lakes is that they're really easy to put on and to take off Mm. they uh they cinch up with a boa and they they the fit is really nice uh and they're also very comfortable um you know like i've i've run full day errands uh with them on where you're on and off the bike and you're walking around and they're really nice I've also put them through some real abuse. Uh, they've been splattered with salt and ice over a period of seasons, and they are still totally solid. Yeah. They retail for 340 bucks, okay. which, which I recognize uh, is a real investment. But they solve the problem. I have some lower-priced, quote-unquote, winter shoes that do not solve the problem. You know, like I'll wear those in the 30s and 40s, but not when it's cold. (laughs) So for me, it's really a question of value. Lake shoes, in my opinion, uh, these boots and others are good value. Uh, And maybe even more importantly, they're in stock right now in most, if not all sizes. So if you got cold feet. You know what's funny to me about this? What's that? That's not even their heaviest boot. No, it's not. <laughs> it is not. I mean, uh, yeah, that that just cracks me up. <laughs> yeah. you know, they have their own hold my beer. They definitely do. And those I should say about those heavier boots, they're just not attractive to me personally. Um, I don't need a heavier boot than this. Uh, and these ones, uh, you know, I ride my gravel bike. Uh, with studded tires in these. And so I say they're not agile, but they are not, you know, the full muckluck right, experience right. either. Yeah, yeah, there are heavier, there are heavier versions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Very cool. My pick this week is based on a discount that I ran across fairly accidentally. Uh, so Shimano bought laser helmets a couple of years back. And that means that their helmets went from being stylish, but hard to get to stylish and easy to get. Yeah. I reviewed the Century for RKP. Uh, The Century is a road helmet that features a plate in the middle top of the helmet called the twist cap. It attaches via magnets. And in one position, I I know it sounds That's how the government knows what you're thinking, Patrick. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) The the MIPS is made from aluminum foil, though. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) So, um, yeah, it attaches via magnets. When I first checked that, I was like, this is never going to work. And the the twist cap has never, ever come off. 
yeah. not once. And it, it just, it's kind of a stunning thing given how light the magnets are, but it works anyway. So in one position, the middle vents, uh, of in the helmet are open for good airflow, uh-huh. but pull the twist cap away from its magnets that hold it on and turn it 180 degrees. Um, so it has a sh- symmetrical shape front to back yeah, yeah, yeah. as well side to side. Um, and a solid portion of the twist cap then closes the vents, making it warmer on cool days and increasing the aerodynamics of the helmet. So yeah, it features a MIPS liner for superior safety. Um, and it also features an integrated rechargeable LED light in the back for increased visibility. Hmm. Here's the thing. I'm mentioning it now because it originally retailed for $159.99, but at Competitive Cyclist, it is on special for $89.95, but it's almost half off. I believe the helmet is being discontinued because I don't see it listed on the laser site currently. Uh, hmm. The only caveat is while they have the small and medium sizes, they don't have the large in stock. Sorry, melon heads. Yeah, I wear the medium. Uh, it comes in four colors, white, red, black, and neon yellow. And each of those are, you know, split with black bits on the helmet. So it's not just all one color. Uh, one last little goodie. In 2019, Virginia Tech tested it and a bunch of other road helmets and pronounced it the safest road helmet on the market. Mm. There will be a link in our show notes. It's like a little Volvo for your head. (laughs) (laughs) What an image. I love that. Little Volvo wagon for your head. (laughs) Also, incidentally, the first car that hit me, Volvo wagon. She, she was so safe in there. Oh my. Um, well, that is another episode of the pace line. Um, do you, are you at the point of actually making plans for fun? Yeah, I'm going uh, back up to Vermont this weekend and I'm gonna be in the woods in one fashion or another. The long range forecast is for a really tragic snow season up there. There's just not a lot falling out of the sky. So, but doesn't matter. Uh, I love to tromp around in the woods in whatever way um, is available to me. Hmm. Very cool. I sh- yeah. I wanted to add also that um, you you made uh, a production there of this being a clean podcast. <laughs> oh and I was boy. just going to say, for those of you out there looking for a less clean oh. podcast, <laughs> check out Revolting, uh, which I uh, do with Steve Knievel, where we uh, we throw all those rules out and just talk like uh, grownups with, you know, grown up. It's a com- it's less the the post ride coffee conversation than the uh, hanging out in uh, a place that serves adult beverages sort of conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's right. I, I don't drink myself, but it is definitely bar chat. Yeah, it's the yeah. bar chat of cycling podcasts. Yeah, but it's it's a it, I mean, if you were to have a, an adult beverage uh, while listening, it, it's more beer than wine. Oh, yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. 
Uh, speaking of that and other podcasts, before we go, <coughs> we want to let you know that we're going to drop some extra podcasts in your feed over the coming weeks. It's one thing we've realized to tell you that we are producing some new podcasts uh, like Revolting and Enter the Deuce and The Crash, but we figured it might be helpful to just make it easy for you to give them a try. They're easy enough to delete. Uh, so we're going to drop a few episodes uh, in there for you over the coming weeks. And what we're hoping is that you'll like them. And if you do, you'll go subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get them. And speaking of iTunes and Stitcher and wherever you get <laughs> stuff, if we're not listed in a place you like to get podcasts, let us know where you'd like us to appear because there are now more outlets out there than there are channels on cable. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I have to physically sign up for each one of them. It's a yeah. bunch of clicks through a bunch of different pages. So it's, it requires some effort anyway. Hey, send us some questions. We haven't gotten any in a little bit. If you've got an idea, please drop by the cycling independent and put a suggestion in the comments. We hope you've enjoyed the show, and if you have, please leave us a good review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It makes us easier for other listeners to find. Until next week, I'm Patrick Brady with Robot. Thanks for listening to The Pace Line. <laughs>